You're watching a series called Light in the Darkness, a journey through the Gospel of John from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information and resources, visit theaxischurch.org. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis. Um, And uh, we're beginning our multi-year journey uh, through the Gospel of John, so it's a great joy to say Grab your Bibles and turn to John. We've got John journals. Uh, we've got some guys ready to give them out to you. If you want one, raise your hand. It's the Gospel of John with a uh, note-taking page, every other page of Scripture. So just hold it up real high, and we'll get some to you. They're yours for free um, from your church family here. It's a great way of working the text um, over the next couple years um, as we spend time in this wonderful book. I was uh, <clears throat> asked this week by one of my buddies at the gym He's like, man, I want to start reading the Bible. Where do I start? And I'm like, start with the book of John. It's like a fantastic place. So I'm really looking forward to this this time together. As you're getting your journals and as you're finding your place in uh, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, for those who don't have John journals, um, uh, if you've experienced God working in your life, um, if you've experienced what you'd believe to be faith in Christ, According to Jesus, you must respond to him by faith um, and obedience. And that first step of Christian obedience, uh, according to Scripture, is uh, being baptized. Uh, baptism is a public profession, an acknowledgement of your faith in Christ and his work in you. Uh, it's one of the two sacraments that's given to the church, to the Christian church. The Lord's table, which we'll be sharing here at the conclusion of the sermon, and then baptism is the other. And this Easter, we're going to be having baptism services. So if you would like to be baptized, I encourage you to do that. If you have questions about baptism, if you want to be baptized, uh, please take note of that on the connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. We will follow up with you, or you can do the digital connection form as well. I want to make sure everybody has a journal that wants one. If there's still somebody that wants one, raise your hand. All right, up front, we got Josh that needs one up here. Anybody else? Or maybe four up here. Anybody else? Oh, over here. Back there, right here at the pillar. Yep. And the rubber bands. Don't sleep on those rubber bands, y'all. They hold your life together. That's right. (laughs) I love rubber bands. Um, Those are the things I insist that we have. Because if you throw it in the front seat, it flops open, and it's like getting torn and shredded. Your notes fall out. That that rubber band is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It kind of keeps your life together, okay? Um, <clears throat> that's probably a bad thing to say, but anyway. All right, so uh, who is John as we get ready to begin this journey? Uh, and why did he write this text? Why did he pin these words? Um, well, John is the son of a man named Zebedee. This is not John the Baptist, all right? John the Baptist did not write these words. John the disciple, the son of Zebedee, did. John had a brother whose name is James. James, John's brother, did not write the book of James. Um, That's the brother of Jesus. James has uh, a brother named John. John wrote this gospel. They were out fishing one day, and Jesus called them to himself um, to be his two of his 12 disciples. And they're somewhat, uh, James and John, they're somewhat like fiery zeal um, and passion and extreme reactions is, is perhaps why Jesus gave them a nickname, the only nickname that we know that Christ gave somebody, these two brothers. He called them sons of thunder. And you can read about that in Mark chapter 3. 
John was discipled by Jesus Christ. He lived with Jesus, talked with Jesus, followed Jesus for three years. John is known as the disciple whom Christ loved. He's the guy who on earth, no one, Jesus knew no one more closely, and no man knew Jesus more closely than John. You might recall at the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, that John was the one sitting next to Jesus, actually reclining on Jesus. John let us know in his gospel, we'll get there one day um, in a couple years, uh, that he outran Peter. So he wanted us to know that he was quicker than Peter. Apparently there was a, you know, some jockeying for who was the fastest because he had to throw it in his gospel. He outran Peter to the tomb. Um, John actually laid his eyes in the stone work of the empty tomb and saw that Christ was not there, but he had risen. Uh, John was the only disciple to stand by Mary's side, the mother of Jesus, as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, dying for your sin. John was there with his mother, Mary. John was one of the disciples. He was also one of the apostles. He saw the resurrected Lord, and he experienced Pentecost that we read about in the early chapters of the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit of God Almighty entered into the hearts of mankind to those who would believe. Along with Peter and James and John, these three men were pillars of the early church, and they were the ones who actually commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go out on mission. Uh, and, and then eventually we know that Paul ended up writing at least 13 letters of the New Testament. <clears throat> John's original audience uh, are those, those who he wrote to uh, were those in the larger Greco-Roman area of Ephesus and beyond, both Jew and Gentile, uh, penned just before the turn of the first century. Christian tradition holds that John died of natural causes, the only disciple not to be brutally tortured and martyred. He died naturally around the age of 94. And the main focus of his writing, the main attention of his book, as we'll see, dealt with the final week in the life of Christ. Actually, there's one day between chapters 13 and 19 that he writes of one day there around the death of Christ. The central theme of his gospel is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the light of the world. This is his main focus. But not only this, but by believing in Christ and these truths about him, people can be saved from their sin and granted eternal life. If you look back to the back of John, go there real quick. Look at John chapter 20. We're going to go to the back before we begin the front. John chapter 20, look at verse 30. He tells us why he writes this letter. He says, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That's something we need to understand about when you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just some of what happened. There's a lot more that was said, a lot more that was done. He says, <clears throat> These are written so that you may believe. He's talking about you, the reader. He wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, not merely a man. And he wrote so that by believing in this, you may have life and not death, that you may have life in his name. And I think this is wonderful because this is the very reason we're preaching this book, is that we can know the risen Christ and believe in him and experience life. My friend, I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is more than a theory, more than a myth, more than a legend, more than a historical figure. 
that he was the God-man sent from heaven to die for you, to give you life and hope and meaning and purpose and value and worth that your life circumstances can't shake or take from you. I want you to believe Jesus Christ and escape the otherwise inescapable hell that is before you. The only way to have peace with God and have hope for a pleasant eternity is to humble yourself and turn to Jesus Christ and by faith believe what Scripture says to be true about him. And you experience what John experienced in the book of Acts. You experience the Holy Spirit of God coming upon you and giving you life in Christ and hope not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so John and I both are very upfront with our purpose for your attention and your attendance to this book. And so I ask that you open your heart and you open your mind to be instructed by your creator, the one who designed you, the one who uniquely fashioned you. He wants to be in relationship with you because he knows that's what you need more than anything else. So we want this for you. Now, finally, I want you to please understand that this book of John, along with the other 65 books that's found in the Holy Bible, that he did not write this by himself. We know and believe that John wrote this under the direction, leadership, and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So we receive this as a historical account of the life of Christ, what he said, what he did, and how people responded to it. But more than this, we receive this as from God Almighty to us, knowing that John wrote this in order to convince everyone, including you, about who Jesus is, the identity of Jesus Christ, and about the absolute necessity for you to have a right response to Jesus in order to have life. So let's get to work in this wonderful book of John. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, the, the beginning there means kind of like rule, uh, it means like a main influence. Like in the beginning, there was this word. There was this logos. There was the, the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning, the main creative force, the main influence over all things was the logos, was the word. This term logos was used all throughout Greek literature. This term was used among the Stoics, for instance, to describe the principle of divine reason which caused the natural creation to grow, which I found really interesting because of what happens right next in the following verse. All things came into being through him. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything, not one single thing made that was made. So before time as we know it, before the world and the universe was created, God was there. The word that is also was in existence before the world began. The word referred to here, notice it's capitalized. You see that in your text. It's a proper noun. It's referring to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus Christ was in the beginning with God. The God of the Bible is understood as the triune God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three and yet one. They have unity. They have communion, if you will, with one another. And within the Trinity, we have the source of any and all creativity. The triune Godhead creates. 
and Jesus is involved with all of this. In fact, all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. And we read about this in other passages throughout the Bible. In particular, I'll point out Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, to be clear, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in Christ, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, his resurrection, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and reside and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things were made by our triune God, the instrument of creation. Jesus is the light and life of men, the author of life, the origin of all life. Everything comes from him. He's the light of men, and he gives spiritual knowledge and understanding to us. Jesus, the word. John continues to tell us about him in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In and through Jesus Christ, we have life and we have light. Another way of thinking about this is without Jesus, there is death and darkness. As John continues, he seems to shift things somewhat abruptly. He makes a really strong statement that, that concerns you personally and that concerns me. The next several words here serve as an indictment against humanity. The light, the verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. Scotia, it means gloom. It means um, ignorance. Ignorance of all things. Ignorance, in particular, of divine things. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a poor translation in the ESV. It literally means it, it does not comprehend it. It does not realize it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not grasped it. Literally, the darkness has not understood it. My goodness, right here, what a profound word that we just read. If you'll listen to it, it could change your life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. The opening words of this gospel, if you think about it, very, very similar to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God and he still does this, by the way. Separated the light from the darkness. I'm talking about spiritually. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning the first day. So John begins his historical gospel account of Christ beginning with God. But he also starts with the beginning of your current situation, my current situation, our condition. He begins with our condition. 
You see, to know yourself, you must start with God. That is so frustrating for so many. And it's, it's not a modern psychological practice to start with God to know yourself, but it's nevertheless true. To begin anywhere else will lead you on a much longer journey than necessary and probably will lead you to a place where you never end at God. This is where we get into trouble. Because you and I, we try to find peace and we try to find hope and we try to find happiness apart from God. And this is a futile exercise that will lead us to despair and frustration. This is living in darkness and people have no idea unless God reveals this to them. And I believe that part of why you're hearing this today is because God wants to reveal this to you. And so I ask you, don't just listen. Hear these words that's being preached to your soul. They could change your life literally forever. Don't think of darkness as the absence of life, but the presence of death. And this darkness isn't merely the absence of light, but the presence of divine ignorance. In the dark. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, mankind stood in need of this. We are needy. And many Christians today are in need of renewal and of joy and happiness. This is part of why John wrote this, to increase our joy, to bring clarity to our situation. I don't have to tell you, life is hard. Life is sad. And we're often overrun and overcome with wave after wave of discouragement and disappointment that quenches the joy of the strongest and most mature Christian. And for those who are not Christians yet, my goodness, how much you must hear from God today. Many things promise you life. Many things assure you joy. You look into many things in order to have hope to continue onward, and yet here you have it. In Christ is life and light. In Christ, you have what you so desperately are looking for in other things. We were created to be a rejoicing people, a happy people, yet so often we're not. Why is that? Part of it is because we fail to realize the truth concerning Jesus Christ. The Christian is often worried because of our forgetfulness of the beauty of the gospel story. We often drift to losing the thrill and wonder of the hope that we have as Christians. The gospel of Christ tells us that salvation from this damned world comes to us only through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and not you, and not your effort. It's Jesus, God incarnate, God made flesh. He has come to us, and the gospel tells us that he comes to us. Look down a few verses, John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word, speaking of Christ, is capitalized. You see that Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. John's talking like, I've seen it with my eyes. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, our happiness comes to us through the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, mankind is truly happy only in a life with Jesus Christ. We lose our happiness. It's diluted. Our happiness is distracted as we drift from this holy truth that God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. And the enemy, Satan, who's real, he might not have a pitchfork and horns, he might look a lot prettier than what you think. 
But the enemy is constantly and always working to pull your eyes onto other things. And John and our songs and our sermons, that we're working to pull your eyes back to Christ and him crucified. For in remembering Jesus Christ and him crucified, therein lies your joy and your happiness. What you need is the truth concerning Jesus Christ that he came to live as your representative for fallen mankind, that he died on a cross as your substitute in your place for your sin, and that he beat death and he rose to victory, killing the power of death that had such an eternal stronghold on you. This is what you need more than anything else. It's to lift your eyes to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Therein is your happiness. There's your hope and there's your strength. But why did Jesus ever show up to begin with? Why was he sent? Like, what was needed? To what question was Jesus the answer for? For God to leave heaven and come here to die, why was that necessary? Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it, overcome it. I believe we have the answer there. You see, there's something wrong with us. It's not popular to say this these days because we think we're pretty awesome, but there's a problem with you. And it goes deep. There's a problem with me. There's a problem with us. There's a problem with all of mankind. There are things that we must know about God. Yes, but there are also things we must know about ourselves. You see, there's a darkness about us. And it wasn't always this way. Originally, we were in an intimate and glorious, happy relationship with God. (laughs) Believe it or not, we were completely sinless at one point. Mankind was. We were holistically happy, and literally nothing could change that. God told mankind who we were. He gave us our identity, and we believed him. We trusted him. We took him at his word. We had a close relationship with him. It was perfect. We had perfect and endless peace all around us and within us. All of creation, even the animal world, everything had peace and harmony and friendship. God gave mankind the green light for anything, everything. And he actually only gave mankind one rule, to not eat the fruit of one particular tree. Well, we could not handle such a heavy restriction. How obnoxious of this controlling authority over us to tell us that we can't do something. So we rebelled against God. We decided that we knew better. We didn't want to have the confines of of such a ruthless master. We were better at making decisions than God was. And as a result, sin and brokenness and sadness entered into the world, but not only into the world, also into our minds and bodies and hearts and souls. It's at that point that death entered into our situation. Before that, we were eternal, much like God. But because of our pride and our brilliance, we're now fallen. We're diseased, heartbroken, and death-bound. We're now ignorant of what we need most. And the Bible tells us that we're in need of God, yet we do not know this. We're confident it's got to be something else. We're sure of it. (laughs) Like, we just need more education. We need more instruction, a little bit of advice or coaching, maybe a little bit more money or some better friends that know us for who we really are and want us to be happy. 
We need more of something, but it can't be God. It's got to be something else. You see, the Bible tells us at our core that because of the fall of mankind, of Adam and Eve, our first parents, that we're sinners. We're literally against God, rebels of God, haters of God. Ephesians 2 tells us about this in chapters, chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, speaking of Satan and his, his rule. You were following the prince of the power of the air. There he is. The spirit that is not working, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, simply obeying our body, which is never a good thing. Obeying the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were warped. We were by nature, nature, children of wrath, rage, murderous hearts, like everybody else, like the rest of mankind. You see, at the beginning, we had light. We comprehended light. We knew the source of light, and we liked it. We enjoyed it. But through our disobedience, through our pride, and through our sin, we invited darkness to come upon us. We invited darkness to come within who we are. So what we enjoyed in God, we now no longer have. The world itself was affected. The world today is not a place of hope and light. There's a gloom about it. There's a sadness and despair about the world today. Just look at the news for five minutes. Look at a map. Just look at a world map and look at the divisions, the distinctions that we've placed on humanity what was once one is now divided and now is destroying one another. Disturbance and destruction and turmoil and ignorance. And the source of all this conflict and evil and brokenness is right there in the Garden of Eden. As we chose to rebel against the good and generous and great creator of all things. Oh, the perfect beauty that we just threw away and the ugly that we welcomed in and even put a welcome mat on the ground for. The life we had was truly glorious, but now it's gloom and it's death, it's despair and it's utter darkness. A universal fall away from God, away from life, away from light. The light that is in Christ, it shines in the midst of that darkness, which is the world and our own hearts and our own minds. Mankind, the way each of us were born, were born ignorant of God. We are unaware of who God is and what his character is like. We're unaware of his holiness, his majesty, his power, his mighty power, and the fact that he's eternal. Mankind does not know that God is the great judge of all things. You see, we're in the dark in regards to God. We're in dark to the things of God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. To even know that there is a God, a great being who is over all things, even this comes to a person only if God reveals it to them. We're ignorant. We're born unaware that God is eternal and that all his creation is his, that the world in which we live belongs to him. He formed it. We only know these things if God reveals them to us. There is no hope for anyone until they realize the truth about God, that God is good, that he's generous, that he's great and glorious and gracious. You see, mankind, you and me, we've got to learn these things 
by grace, we've got to learn these things from his word and from other Christians speaking these truths to us. We must realize that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We must realize these things. And until we realize these truths about God and about our fallen state, our lives will stay in darkness and awful trouble. You see, my dear friend, you have a soul. Like, you belong to God. You are his prized possession. You are the epic of his creation. You're very different. You are the only one of all creation, of all that was formed, to be made in his image. You have a soul that is meant to be connected to the almighty God of creation. And you will not feel right until that connection is made again, is reconnected with him, and that only comes through Christ. Your worth and your meaning cannot be determined by a guy or a girl, a physical pleasure, or the amount of money in your bank account. Your worth and your meaning can only be truly discovered as you humble yourself and turn to God, and there you will find what living is all about. And there you will escape the darkness and your ignorance, and you will enter into enlightenment and knowledge and love and peace and contentment. Not only do we live in ignorance or darkness regarding God, but we live with darkness residing in us. The dark and fallen world in which we live, this is only a reflection of the darkness that is within each of us because of sin. We're born this way. I don't know about that. Well, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So you know what he did? He found a man named Noah, said, build an ark. We got to restart this thing. Restart it. Guess what happens? Moments after they leave the ark, sin began again. There's a problem with us. There's a dysfunction about us because of our sin. We've all been impacted by the fall and the sin that brought it about. This is why the world is the way that it is. My goodness, how awful the effects of sin and evil, how deep, how deep they go within us. Again, we're not only in a dark world, but there's a darkness within us. John chapter 3 and verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's us. That's me and you right there. We love the darkness. There is nothing within mankind that has not been affected by sin. The impact of sin is so great that it makes us incapable of recognizing the light, even when it's shown to us. The light of the gospel truth is being spoken to you, and you can't see it. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. Even right now, as the light of this gospel is being preached to your hearts and to your ears, you're working hard within to reject it, to excuse it, to change the subject, to hope that we move on to something different. My sweet friend, please open your heart and mind to the truth about God and the truth about yourself. Stop running away. Stop changing the subject. If there's absolutely anything about this that makes you want to cry out to God for help, do it. John is saying that though the light is there, people reject it. We're blind. We're incapable of arriving at the truth on our own. I don't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. 
He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned and we're ignorant and blind because of our sin. This is why the word had to become flesh. This is why the Lord of glory left his eternal heavenly throne and entered into our fallen time and space. It was to teach us. It was to guide us. It was to make a way where there was no way. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There it is. Follow him. John chapter 12 and verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There it is. Run to him. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, not ignorance, but the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's still doing this today. You who are sitting in darkness this morning, run to Christ. And in doing so, you're running to life, escaping death. To those who are not Christians yet, hear Jesus Christ this morning. He says this in John chapter 12 and verse 44. Jesus cries out and says, whoever believes in me, believes not only in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Here we go. Hear this. Those who aren't Christians yet, hear this. Please ask God now. Say, God, help me hear this. I'm incapable of hearing this. Help me hear this. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That is you, my friend. Jesus showed up to pull you to life, to pull you to light, to pull you out of your ignorance, your apathy towards him, your hatred and rejection towards him, to pull you from your pride. He's come to pull you into heaven escaping your deserved hell. And Christians in the room, we have received the light of Christ. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That's you, Christian. Peter talks about you too in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For Christians, we are to be children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 says, for you are children of light, children of the day. You are not of the night or of darkness. Stop living in it. Walk into the light. Openly confess your sins one to another. As 1 John 1 tells us to do. Walk in the light as he is in the light and we will have fellowship and friendship with one another. Christians are to be concerned with the fruitful works of light. Because we're warned about, in Ephesians chapter 5, 11, we're warned about the unfruitful works of darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says, for at one time, Christian, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And listen to this admonishment. Walk as children of light. You're alive. Stop going back to your tomb and your casket and putting on your burial clothes. That's not you anymore. Live. Live life. Live as if you have victory over death and sin. 
Walk in holiness, walk in light. Do all you can to get rid of every little dark and shadowy corner of your heart. That's joy. I know it's against, Paul writes about this too, it's against what is natural, it's uncomfortable. It's not fun to walk in the light. But in doing so, you crucify that old flesh and you walk in the newness of life that is in Christ and you experience a fullness, a contentment, a happiness. It's like a life without fear, a life without guilt, a life without shame, a life without having to look over your shoulder all the time because you know you're in trouble. You know that you're rebelling. You know that you're not walking in the light. You don't have to live with that fear. (laughs) You don't have to live with that guilt. You don't have to keep deleting history. You can walk in light and freedom and strength and power. There is a way, but it takes that you walk in the light, which is synergistic. It's with God. It's his sanctifying work with you. You are monogistically saved. It is the act of God on your behalf. Synergistically, S-Y-N, the prefix, with. You are working with the spirit, and that requires that you seek discipline. That means that you make a choice to stop doing those things and to begin doing things that honor the Lord, that you stop obeying the body and the flesh, and you begin walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And that is difficult. That is hard. That is receiving the chisel and the hammer of God on your life. It's uncomfortable, but it's life. It's removing your burial clothes and being clothed in light. And that is contentment, and you will not know it until you begin walking in obedience before God and the light that comes from the Lord. Philippians chapter two, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And he's writing to the Christian church. He's writing to the axis. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And as you go shine, listen, Hold fast to the word of life. You need more than podcasts. You need more than self-help books. You need more than regurgitated Christian thought from somebody else. I can read you the menu. I can tell you what I ate yesterday. It doesn't satisfy any hunger within. Open the word of God and plant it deep within your soul daily. This is how you can hold fast in the midst of a wicked and twisted generation. This is how you will shine as bright lights. And as the Christian shines brightly, there's a contentment. There's a happiness. There's a meaning. I was created to shine. This is part of my purpose. And you experience what it is that you're actually looking for in so many other things. May this be your story. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not working, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were all children of wrath, uh, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, ignorant to who he was, because the great love with which he loved us, even while we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus for the purpose that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches 
of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of your works or your effort so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, he's referring to us as unrepentant sinners, called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at, at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Prophets and priests, disciples and apostles, preachers and pastors, Christians living their lives on mission with gospel intentionality. These are all lights shining in the darkness. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it, put it under a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Christian, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and not brag on you, but that they may give glory to your father who is in heaven. Giving glory to the father in heaven is surely what Jesus Christ did every single day of his life here on earth as he lived as you. Every day he lived as us and for us. Even in his death, he died for us in our place. And we remember this as we gather around the Lord's table this morning and share in communion. We've got bread and we've got juice and wine. The bread is symbolic of that perfect life he lived, honoring the Lord and giving glory to him. The red liquid is symbolic of the blood that was shed from Christ as he was pinned on a cross with nails and beaten with a whip and rods, hanging naked in front of humanity, shamefully treated for you so that you would never have to be shamed, so that you would never feel inadequate or not enough before the eyes of God. This is what we think on. This is what we remember as we come to the Lord's table today. We've got self-serve stations in the back two corners. We're going to have servers on either side. My friends who aren't Christians, call out to God for mercy and grace and for him to save you this morning. And for those who are Christians, come celebrate through this meal the finished work of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the one that's pulled you from darkness and death into life and light. Let's pray together. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And we have the joy of proclaiming the mystery of the faith that Christ has come. He's lived, he's died, he's risen, and he will surely come again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Trinity that we spoke of, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of communion and remain with us always, even through the end of the age. Amen. Christian, when you're ready, please come and take, remembering the risen Lord Jesus Christ and his work. You can come.